0: The value of investments can fall as well as rise and losses may be made. This is not a buy, sell or hold recommendation for any particular security. 91 has recently hosted its Global Investment Summit in South Africa. A scene setter was there. He set the scene. His name is Philip Saunders, director at the Investment Institute at 91 in London. Now, how did you set the scene? What themes did you introduce in order to lay the foundation for the Global Investment Summit,
1: Philip? So, Lindsay, the first one you know, was the observation that we've witnessed the culmination of um, an interest rate and inflation regime and that we are moving in a volatile way uh, into a new inflation and interest rate regime. So the past one really culminated with the uh, extraordinary uh, monetary response to COVID, excessive monetary response to COVID, uh, which came against the background of, you know, decades of, uh, uh, of loose monetary policy um, in, in the States and, and also elsewhere in, in the West, partly in the response to, uh, to the rise of China, which we'll come to later, I'm sure. Um, and what we saw was that, you know, you know actually the, the end of that cycle, the post global financial crisis period, you know, the so called great moderation, you know, was, um, you know, extremely odd uh, and abnormal. But because it went on for so long, um, you know, many investors and consumers sort of came to believe that, you know, it was low interest rates forever. So the blow off as a result of COVID. Leading to a sort of sharp uptick in inflation, you know, has really sort of changed the minds of the key policymakers in central banks. You know, they now, you know, they they thought inflation was transitory; it wasn't, um, and they now recognise that they've got a challenge, and they recognise that they've got it wrong. So we're moving back to a more sort of orthodox policy mindset.
0: The whole idea of zero rates for so long, and everyone said, well, this this will carry on forever, there'll be no inflation, we can keep uh, rates low. It's not so much a Goldilocks, but uh, a utopian uh, financial and, and monetary situation that we're all enjoying at the moment, and certainly risk assets did. But the drama of the rise in rates and now potentially the tapering off of rates, it's almost like a meteorological system coming together, high versus low. And there's obviously a few storms because of that, Philip.
1: Entirely, and that's not unusual. When you see, uh, you know, there are normal sort of changes from one cycle to another. Regimes tend to change less frequently. So uh, a normal cycle will see sort of, you know, increased volatility, increased uncertainty. um, And then we sort of we eventually get to a peak in interest rates and tightening and so forth. uh, And and you get a, if you like, a sort of a new cycle within a pre-existing regime. Here, I think we're seeing the end of a cycle and we're seeing the end of a regime. And that is certainly leading to uh, sort of very surprising price action in markets, much higher volatility high levels of uncertainty and sort of strange things like, uh, you know, narrow number of, small number of tech stocks that sort are of going through the roof at a time when, you know, the rest of the market is basically sort of semi stagnant.
0: If you get back to basics, it's all to do with the price of money. So the cost of capital has had a reset.
1: Exactly. Uh, that's exactly what's happened. So we've seen a vicious and sharp reset in terms of the cost of capital we've gone back to if you like more normal levels of real interest rates and you know obviously for businesses that have relied and indeed you know individuals who've borrowed money to buy property and so forth and have sort of resetting mortgages then you know that's a real shock uh, and the fallout from that you know is going to sort of continue but we're moving into a world i think where you will see interest rates they go up and they stay up not necessarily Exactly at these kind of levels, and you have a real cost of capital, and for good businesses and good projects and so forth, you know that's actually a pretty good environment, you know because you have less competition, the flaky composition, the zombie companies uh, are taken out of the picture, you know it's like a bit of a sort of burn off, you know bushfire, uh, and then the new growth can sort of come through. So so actually once we've moved through this sort of volatile and difficult period, I think we end up in a world where you know, traditional fundamentals, you know, matter again. Uh, And I think we see more normal levels of dispersion in equity markets. So, you know, actually a better environment for, you know, active managers.
0: Yeah, exactly. So the implications are that um, there will be a few people that have maybe came into the markets a, a few years ago with uh, ultra low interest rates and now suddenly have experienced this spike in rates and hopefully return to, I don't like the word, but I'll use it, normalcy. What are the implications then for markets, for, for asset classes?
1: So I think that um, it means that you get a more sensible return on sort of conventional defensive bonds. I mean, looking at our forward looking uh, return assumptions, you know, they're not great, but they're a lot better than where they were. So bonds become a more investable asset class, having not been investable, in my view. And as far as equities are concerned, you know, when you get a change of cycle, change of regime, you tend to get different leadership. And I think that, um, you know, the winners of the last cycle rarely become the winners of the new cycle. So I think that that is going to be the sort of you know key challenge to find the areas within equity markets that are going to benefit from the return to normal, and to uh, uh, to avoid the sort of you know maybe some of the overpriced winners of the last cycle.
0: Other things you mentioned in the um, presentation that you kindly sent me the notes from your presentation that is energy transition. It's absolutely massive. It's not happening o- it's not happening overnight, but it's it's a momentum. And it's huge. I live in the Netherlands, and I see it every single day. Every single day, I drive down the motorway, and I see another wind turbine being constructed and put up. You've got infrastructure spend, particularly in the United States. It's been a focus of the Biden administration. Who benefits from this? I would imagine it's cyclical industries.
1: Yes, absolutely. You've got to make stuff, and you need resources to actually build it in order to achieve the uh, the energy transition. But let's just take a step back. I think the sort of key change that's happened recently uh, with the Ukraine conflict is that the climate transition has been um, as fused with um, considerations of energy security. So Germany, for example, was dependent uh, on Russian gas and oil, remarkable though it seems to an extraordinary extent. Um, and now security considerations mean that they've got to actually move the uh, energy transition ahead in Germany much quicker. And that's true of lots of other countries. Uh, it's true of China also. China has always basically had a self-reliance aspect to, um, to it, the build out of uh, renewable energy there. So it's this combination of security. And security is a much more immediate concern. And so government money is going to be flowing there. They're going to be trying to persuade private capital to flow there. Uh, and that is going to have a sort of, you know, that's going to be a major growth driver over the next 10, 15, possibly uh, 20 years.
0: You mentioned China. Is there some kind of fallout from China? Because that's another part of your the, the notes that you sent me, which sort of disturbed me a bit. China fallout. What do you mean by that?
1: You know, China was a great beneficiary of globalisation. And it joined the WTO, that was pretty controversial and so forth back in the early years of the century. And it's prospered mightily on the back of that. However, you know, as China has become the manufacturer, uh, the workshop of the world, yes. it has um, had significant impacts on other economies, you know, both the West and indeed in the emerging world. You know, because we had a sort of free market type response, uh, they were playing a different game. And, you know, now uh, you know, American policy has changed, much more adversarial policy, um, and uh, we're seeing a sort of significant change on that front. I, uh, a sort of parting of the ways, if you like, you know, in terms of technology, self-reliance and so forth. So, uh, you know, more adversarial environment, more spending on rearmament, um, which is another growth driver, Um You know, unfortunate that we have to actually do that. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so I think that, again, that's going to have a massive impact over the next decade. We have to hope that the Americans and the Chinese manage to sort out some form of détente. You know, this is what obviously Kissinger was famous for in in the Cold War in the past. Um, So, you know, clearly the competition is going to continue, but we you know can't afford to let it get out of hand. Competition, actually, is probably good for growth, you know, because you've got this drive for capital investment, for making systems resilient, supply chains resilient and so forth. And that's going to take a hell of a lot of investment, too.
0: All right. You've set the scene. I can see you now on stage and people are hanging on your every word. Could you summarise the scene setting, please?
1: Well, I think that we move into a you know challenging period where, you know, we, we're going to be in this sort of transition, I think, for you know, even when we get into the new cycle it's you know going to going to last five years or so um, but we're moving into a new uh, market regime and investors have got to they probably will have to pl- play different games in order to actually generate the returns that their, that their clients uh, need and you know we've come through you know 40year bull market in equities and bonds now you know we're moving into a more difficult period and you know I think Many of the things that worked in the past, you know, may not work in the future. And so that's the kind of thing that we need to be thinking about as investors.
0: Philip, thank you very much for your insight. Philip Saunders is a director at the Investment Institute at 91 in London. This podcast is a marketing communication and is provided for general information only and assumes a certain level of knowledge of financial markets. It is not an invitation to make an investment and should not be construed as advice. The views of this podcast are those of contributors at the time of publication and do not necessarily reflect those of 91. In South Africa, 91 is an authorized financial services provider.